You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Chapter 13, Making a Difference. Cultivating Radicals. Have you ever done something radical and felt really good about it? Radicals are the root of all progress. Yet in a world of convention, being unconventional takes courage. All our lives we are taught compliance. We learn to obey. We are careful not to rock the boat. And we lose our natural appetite for questioning, that childish insistence to know why. We are schooled in the ways of groupthink, discouraged from challenging the status quo. And those who dare to question the ingrained assumptions, to challenge the established order, to reject popular opinion, are labelled radicals, outcasts, troublemakers, fringe lunatics. Yet what does it mean to be radical? It means to get to the root of things, to tap a deeper source, to go below the surface of shallow consensus. Radicals are feared because they threaten those in power who rely on the unquestioning acquiescence of the masses. Radicals are persecuted because they are the harbingers of change in a society that clings to stability. Yet radicals are the driving force behind human evolution. All the icons that history has judged to be great were radicals in their time. The Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu was radical when he proposed the way of flow in an era of rigid military imperialism. Gautama the Buddha was radical when he rejected his noble birth and founded the path of simple living. Moses was radical when he led the Israelites from slavery to freedom. Jesus was radical when he challenged the encrusted traditions of his own Jewish upbringing. Other great reformers throughout the ages were similarly regarded as heretics by their peers. Newton for replacing the Catholic cosmology with scientific theories, and Einstein for dismantling Newton's clockwork universe, Da Vinci for imagining how people might fly, and the Wright brothers for turning his prophecy into reality, Darwin for confronting creationists with the evidence of evolution, and Rupert Sheldrake for suggesting that the laws of nature are more like habits of morphic resonance. Gandhi for taking on the colonial might of Britain, and Mandela for fighting the scourge of apartheid. We greatly admire these giants of human civilization now, so what made them heretics in their day? The etymological root of the word heretic means able to choose. Perhaps this gives us a clue as to why they were reviled then and are lauded now. Heretics are messengers of freedom, and freedom is an anathema to the theocrats, bureaucrats, and plutocrats alike. People who think for themselves are more likely to question the scripted beliefs of religious dogma. They are less likely to blindly follow the dictates of authority, and they are more difficult to control and manipulate with money. Radicals are able to endure the ridicule of society because they have the power of conviction. Their ideas are rooted firmly in values, making their stand virtually unshakable. But radicals never exist in isolation. 
If they stand out above a crowd, it is only because they are raised on the shoulders of a dedicated band of committed supporters. Radicals are always part of a wider groundswell of change, riding on the bow of a wave of reform. Radicals are not agitators for the sake of contrariety. They shout in the deserts of the mainstream because they have a vision of a better way, a more honest way, a way which improves the lot of humankind. Radicals are the voice of the oppressed who cannot speak and of the poor to whom no one listens. Radicals are the hands of the innovators whose minds are tied to contracts and the entrepreneurs whose souls are bought by commerce. We are all radicals just waiting for our moment of destiny, straining for our call to a higher purpose, wishing for the courage to do the right thing. The root of our actions, and indeed the root to action, lies within. As we reach deep down into the soil of our being, we tap into our radical core of inspiration. So why not do something radical yourself today, just for a change? Are we happy? In the face of unprecedented global challenges like financial market instability, persistent poverty and climate change, can we as individuals, radical or otherwise, really make a difference? And if we can, what motivates us to devote our time and energies to addressing social, environmental and ethical issues? Based on research for my PhD, which is written up in detail in my book, Making a Difference, I believe that corporate sustainability and responsibility provide a powerful way to address the existential gap or lack of deeper self-sense of purpose and meaning and job satisfaction felt by many people in business today. A survey a few years ago by a London PR firm called Fish Can Sing hinted at the extent of the problem. It found that 66% of all 18 to 35-year-olds were unhappy at work. The proportion rose to 83% among 30 to 35-year-olds. One in 15 respondents had already quit the rat race and 45% were seriously contemplating a career change. This last group was described as being made up of tireds or 30-something independent radical educated dropouts. These otherwise highly successful and motivated professionals were found to be lacking something in their working lives. They wanted less work-related stress, shorter working hours, more job satisfaction and higher quality of life. In other words, less demand and greater reward. What's more, the existential crisis does not appear to be confined either to the 30-something age group or to the UK. According to the World Watch Institute, today the same number of Americans, about a third, report being very happy, as they did in 1957, even though they are as a group twice as wealthy as they were 50 years ago. The New Economics Foundation's Happy Planet Index, which measures the relative efficiency with which nations convert the planet's natural resources into long and happy lives for their citizens, is also revealing High scores are only achievable by meeting all three targets embodied in the index, high life expectancy, high life satisfaction, and a low ecological footprint. The highest Happy Planet Index score is for Costa Rica. 
Of the following 10 countries, all but one is Latin American. The highest ranking group of the G20 in terms of the Happy Planet Index is Brazil, in ninth place out of 143. Together, Latin American and Caribbean nations have the highest mean Happy Planet Index score for any region. Rich developed nations fall somewhere in the middle. The highest placed Western nation is the Netherlands, 43rd out of 143. The UK ranks midway down the table, 74th, behind Germany, Italy and France. It is just beaten by Georgia and Slovakia, but beats Japan and Ireland. The USA comes a long way back, in 114th place. So what is going on here? Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning, and a personal survivor of four Nazi concentration camps, suggests that the Western pursuit of economic growth may be to blame. Consider today's society, he says. It gratifies and satisfies virtually every need except for one, the need for meaning. This spreading meaning vacuum is especially evident in affluent industrial countries. People have the means for living, but not the meanings. Management thinker Charles Handy puts it another way. He says, We seem to be saying that life is about economics, that money is the measure of things. My hunch is that most of us don't believe any of this and that it won't work. But we are trapped in our own rhetoric and have as yet nothing else to offer, not even a different way to talk about it. Handy may be right. Then again, surely one different way to talk about it is through the language of sustainability and responsibility. After all, these are matters which run deep. They are matters of values and beliefs, of higher aspirations and noble causes. And yet even here, we find the prevailing rhetoric of CSR is mostly about the business case. Talk of the moral case or the personal case for CSR is taboo, as if stripping human emotion and personal motivation from the debate on how companies should behave somehow makes it more credible, more effective. My research suggests that this corporatized, depersonalized approach to CSR is failing to tap the massive source of energy for constructive change that exists in companies in the world. The reason is that the CSR zombie view of the world, reflected in the mantra, I only do corporate sustainability and responsibility because it's good for business, this completely fails to appreciate why people choose to work in CSR what satisfaction they derive from this work, and what motivates them to keep trying to make a positive difference despite huge obstacles and frustrations. The simple fact of the matter is that CSR students, professionals, and enthusiasts are all change agents. We are the champions. What do we know about the role of individuals as change agents? Intuitively, we resonate with adages such as Gandhi's Be the Change You Want to See in the World, or Margaret Mead's famous quote, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever does. But beyond these clichés, what do we really know about change in the context of CSR? The first rich vein of research to mine is the concept of champions within organizations. This goes back to the emergence of human resource champions in the 1980s. In the 1990s, firms started to apply the idea to environmental management and corporate social performance as well. 
Hence, a CSR champion became someone who has the ability to translate a set of personal beliefs about creating a just and sustainable future into an attractive vision for their organization or sector. Or put another way, they are masters at identifying, packaging and selling social and environmental issues to those that have the power and influence to address them. CSR champions do not always have formal corporate sustainability and responsibility roles. They are often described as being action-oriented, enthusiasts, inspirers, experts, volunteers, communicators, networkers, sponsors, implementers and catalysts. They demonstrate that, contrary to popular belief, individuals have considerable discretion within organizations to pursue and promote agendas that they are passionate about. Crucially, however, they need a combination of knowledge and skills to be successful. For example, they need to be able to gather sufficient credible information to make a rational case for change. They need the ability to tell an emotionally compelling story about a more sustainable future. And they need enough political savvy and interpersonal skills to persuade others, especially leaders, to listen and take action. CSR professionals are effective change agents, therefore, when they act as champions. One safety, health and environmental manager I spoke to talked about his role in convincing his organization, which was a large chemical company, to phase out the use of various harmful substances, such as CFCs, PCBs and asbestos. He said to me, To me it was a major achievement to convince the 30,000 colleagues of mine in the company to move out of this business before legislation hit us. This still doesn't tell us what motivates us to engage with the agenda in the first place. Talking to CSR professionals, by which I mean managers, consultants, academics and NGO representatives working on corporate social, environmental and ethical issues, The desire to create change recurs as a consistent theme, but the way in which they make change happen and the satisfaction they derive as a result differs considerably. For some, as one might have guessed, values play an important role. In particular, CSR is seen as a way to align work with personal values. For example, one manager I interviewed said, It's the inner drive. It's the way I'm put together, my value system, my belief system. It's my Christian belief, my ethical approach. Another explained that it is important to have inspirational leadership and people who align with your value sets. For many CSR professionals, their motivation also derives from the fact that sustainability and responsibility are such dynamic, complex and challenging concepts. The satisfaction is huge, said one corporate responsibility manager, because there is no day that is the same when you get into your office. It's always changing. It's always different. Another reflected that CSR painted a much bigger picture and is just as holistic as you want it to be. It requires a far broader vision. <laughs>